Everybody happy today? It's good to see you on Independence Day weekend. First, I want to introduce my uh, wife of 36 years. Stand up and say hello there, Kathy. All righty. She's the better half. She looks better than me. Amen? How many of you men can say that? All righty. Uh, it's so good to be with you. We go way back. You know, I spoke in this church in the mid-80s. That's really dating me. Uh, but way back in the mid-80s, there was another pastor, and I was here, and was here a few months ago. So we, we've kind of seen this church evolve, and we sure love uh, Pastor John and Linnell, and they've done a great, great job. He's a real man of God, upright, walks with the Lord, and I thank God for his example. And isn't Linnell something? She goes through all that she goes through and then goes on the mission field right in the middle of it. So she's a firebrand. And Kathy went with her this last time to Haiti and had a great, great time. How many of you have ever been offended? Anybody ever been offended? The rest of you, you're offending me because you're lying to me. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You've been offended. Let me see. Somebody hurt your feelings and you got mad. All right. I brought a couple of books with me. I just want to show them to you real quickly. Making It Right When You Feel Wrong is the first book that I published with Baker Bookhouse. This is on how to get disentangled from an offense. Because an offense can take you right out of the race. An offense can get you out of church, out of prayer, out of the Bible, out of your walk with God. And it turns into a root of bitterness. So this will show you how to avoid getting offended in the first place or staying offended. And then if you get offended, how to disentangle it. Then another one I brought, the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror. How many of you have ever made a mistake? The rest of you just made one by not telling me the truth. Right. Now here we go. All right. Uh, if you're not careful, you make mistakes. We have a tendency to live life looking in the rearview mirror. Man, if I just hadn't done that, hadn't gone there, hadn't said that. And you can either live life in the rearview mirror or you can live life looking through the windshield of God's purpose for you. So this is all about no matter what's happened to you, you can still move forward in God's purpose. And then I brought a couple of tape series. Um, only ones that just really, really did well. We're on just shy of 100 radio stations around the country. And um, these series have just resonated with people. This one is how to disarm your giants. I think I talk about 10 giants, if I'm remembering right. 10 different giants. Discouragement, anxiety, offense, anger, condemnation, temptation, intimidation, lust, depression. So... This will really encourage you and show you how to beat that giant. How many of you believe that God wants us to defeat the giants in our life? Amen? And don't we have a giant killer on the inside of us? All righty. I'm going to ask you to stand with me just for the reading of these uh, verses. And I want to talk to you today about something called the chariots of iron. Chariots of iron. And we're going to look first at Joshua and then at Judges. And as, as I read these verses, notice with me how many times the word chariot is mentioned. And there's a reason for that. And not just a chariot, but chariot of iron. So let's read these together. Joshua 17, starting at verse 16. The children of Israel are, are going, taking the promised land. And the children of Joseph said to Joshua, the mountain country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have what? Now, before he goes to the next verse, let me just point out, they're saying this 
with angst in their heart. They're concerned about this. As a matter of fact, they're afraid and intimidated by these chariots of iron. Okay? So Joshua hears this. Now I want you to look at what Joshua responds with in verse 17. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, and here's what he said to them. I love this. You are a great people, and you have great power. You shall not have only one lot, but then verse 18, but the mountain country shall be yours, although it's wooded. In other words, although there's all kinds of obstacles, you're going to cut the obstacles down. And its farthest extent shall be yours, for you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have. Okay? And are strong. So what is Joshua's response to them? Big deal. So what if they've got iron chariots? You ought not be intimidated, but you ought to know that God's going to take those things for you. And you're going to win the battle. So can you say with me, they had a word from God? I mean, without a doubt. But then it came down to the rubber meeting the road. They went into the promised land and they faced these iron chariots in Judges right at the beginning of the book of Judges. And I want you to notice what happened. Verse 19, so the Lord was with Judah and they drove out the mountaineers, so far so good. But they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had... Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Something's wrong here because God told them they could do it. So when we read they could not, let me paraphrase that. They could not because they would not. And they would not because they were looking at their enemy through eyes of fear and not eyes of faith. So what they could have done and should have done, they didn't do. And so they yielded some of the land to the enemy and did not fulfill all of their destiny. Now, Paul said, the Holy Spirit gave us these stories in the Old Testament so that we would learn from them and not make the same mistakes. So I'm preaching today and teaching today on the fact that all of us face chariots of iron, and we're not going to do what they did. We're going to take the Word of God, the promise of God, and we're going to defeat them. We're not going to bow, break, or back down. We're not going to yield land to the enemy, but we're going to take the chariots of iron. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you right now for the Word of God and pray that you will show yourself mighty. Lord, I believe that many in this congregation are facing their own iron chariots. And I pray that this will be a word that will inspire their faith and, Lord, bring them a victory. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Now turn to your neighbor and tell them, your chariot is coming down. Amen. Let's talk about this for a minute. Now, Israel is going into the promised land, as, as I've already shared with you. The context here is that they're taking city by city, town by town, square foot by square foot of what God had promised them. But here was their problem in their own natural eyes, that they were foot soldiers only. They did not have chariots. As a matter of fact, Israel didn't have chariots until the time of David, and that was way down the road from here. So until David came, they didn't have chariots. They were trained in hand-to-hand -hand combat. 
spear to spear, sword to sword, and they were very good at foot soldiering, but they did not have chariots. And, and chariots were sort of the tanks of that day. If you had chariots, then you had superiority when it came to battles. If you didn't have chariots, then you were one leg down, unless you were God's people, because God's people had the Almighty God with them. But in the natural, naturally speaking, if you didn't have chariots, you were at a real disadvantage. And so Israel felt like when they looked at these, not only chariots, but chariots of iron, then they said, man, I feel like I've got a squirt gun and I'm squirting it at a forest fire. How are we going to win? And so Joshua gave them this word. You are, you have, you shall. Can you say that with me? You are, you have, you shall. Let's personalize it. I am. I have, I shall. Isn't that a good word? <clears throat> now, the Holy Spirit in giving us the Bible made a real point of every time pointing out not only did they have chariots, but they were made of iron. They were iron chariots. And if that didn't matter, the Holy Spirit would not have moved on the writer to put that down. They were chariots of iron. Now, what, what does that matter? Well, here, here's what it matters. Most everybody else in that time were dealing in bronze weaponry. They were still in the Bronze Age. So their swords and spears and everything were made of bronze. But the Philistines had discovered iron. And so they had moved on into the Iron Age, which eventually everybody would do. But they were among the first. So their weapons were simply of stronger stuff than the bronze weapons. Let me give you an example. When an iron sword would strike up against a bronze sword, it would cut the bronze sword in half. Just break it. When an iron sword came down on a bronze helmet, it would go through it like butter and into the skull of the enemy and kill them. If you had iron weaponry, you had another leg up in warfare. So not only did the Canaanites who were dwelling in the land have chariots, but they were made of iron. Now, how many of you have ever seen Ben-Hur? Remember Ben-Hur and those chariot battles? And remember on the sides of those, those wheels, they had those razor blade-like skiffs, those really awesome-looking things that when they would drive their chariots against the enemy, they would cut through anything because of what was on those wheels. It might have been something like that. And so Israel looks at these iron chariots, and they said, oh, no, what are we going to do? Because not only do they have chariots, they have iron chariots. We have no weapon that can even begin to defeat them, and they forgot that they had God on their side. Now, these iron chariots, for me, represent something. They represent trials that you and I face. All that iron chariot was was a trial, an obstacle, a mountain, or a valley. Metaphorically, they stood for a, a, a testing or a trial that was a cut above the rest. Because Israel was taking every town, every city, until they ran up against these chariots of iron. And when they ran up against the chariots of iron, they were in trouble. And so can you agree with me that not all problems come in the same size and shape? Not all trials are the same. Not all trials uh, uh, extract from us what others might and you know the prophet Jeremiah, I was reading about Jeremiah. Jeremiah ran up against the same thing. He was preaching to Judah. 
And Judah was about to come under judgment. God's people. They had forsaken God. They had walked away from the Lord. They were blaspheming him. They were, they, they were aggravating him and angering him and, and calling judgment down on themselves at every turn. And Jeremiah was raised up as a young man to begin to prophesy to them that judgment was going to come to them if they did not repent. And he preached year after year, decade after decade, his entire adult life, Jeremiah preached, judgment's coming, the Babylonians are going to come and take you away. You are going to come to the end of yourself. You're sinning and bringing judgment on yourself. And then one day, Jeremiah looked around and he said, hey, look at this. I'm preaching and telling them judgment is coming, but they are going on in their sin. And not only are they going on in their sin, they love their sin. And not only do they love their sin, it looks like they're getting away with it and there's no judgment whatsoever. And he went to God and he complained. He said, God, I don't understand. Why don't you judge them? Why aren't they paying for what they're doing? How are they enjoying all this? And here I am, a righteous man, and every single day you're dealing roughly with me and I'm having to keep my life straight and I'm having to crucify the flesh and, and, and I'm experiencing trials and tribulations, but it looks like they are getting away with everything. Anybody ever feel that way about the lost? And God talked to him in no uncertain terms. I want you to listen to what God said. He spoke right to him. He said, Jeremiah, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? And if you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? Now, let me paraphrase this for you. Jeremiah, if the footmen have worn you out, the normal everyday trials, just paying the bills, raising the kids, crucifying the flesh, living a godly life, the footmen, the normal stuff, the typical stuff. If all that has worn you out, what are you going to do when times really get tough, Jeremiah? What are you going to do when the horses are coming? What are you going to do when the iron chariots are rolling across your land? What are you going to do then, Jeremiah? In other words, son, quit whining. Quit complaining. And know that your God is with you. Embrace yourself because tougher times are coming. And these easier times are here so you can strengthen yourself and get ready for the hard times. Now, church, I bring a word today. I want you to know the horses are coming. Iron chariots, are they not, are rolling across our land. Well, I hope you're as aware of that as I am. God said to Jeremiah, look, you've got footman-sized problems right now, but you're going to have horses problems one day soon. And so, Jeremiah, quit letting these little things whittle you down, break you down, and cause you to put up the white flag and surrender because you haven't seen anything yet. Son, get strong in me. We all really deal with footman problems regularly, don't we? We all. You've got footman problems. Every one of you in here have footman problems here today. But you know what? Some of us have chariots of iron. Some of us are dealing with real chariots of iron. When you're dealing with a chariot of iron, let me tell you what it's like. It's of a different breed. A chariot of iron doesn't yield to the usual strategies of positive confession and standing on the promises. As a matter of fact, let me tell you about the chariots of iron. Sometimes it seems like despite our best efforts, they seem to defeat us. Anybody in here dealing with a chariot of iron? 
You, you say, Lord, forgive me for this, and then, and then you end up doing it again. And Lord, forgive me for this, you do it again. Or Lord, I've done everything in the world. I fasted, prayed, named it, claimed it, blabbed it, grabbed it, and it's still here. What am I going to do about this chariot of iron, Lord, this marital conflict, this problem that I'm dealing with? You know, you, you wake up one day, the skies are blue, the sun is shining, and then here comes a chariot of iron. God didn't send you an email and tell you it was coming. You didn't get a text message from some angel saying, you've got a chariot of iron on the way. You wake up one day, and there it is staring you in the face. The doctor says it's cancer, and you've got a chariot of iron or your spouse has gotten up and walked out. You didn't even see it coming. They didn't tell you anything. They didn't give you any signals. You came home and some of the furniture is gone and they have left you and that's all you've ever known and they are all you've ever known and you don't know how you're going to do life without them and suddenly the wind is knocked out of you and you're staring at a chariot of iron and you're saying, God, this is bigger than me, stronger than me. How am I going to handle this? I talked with a devastated woman from another city whose mid-50s aged husband just left her for a 24-year-old woman. She's crushed. She's numb. It's a chariot of iron. Pastor Jeff, how am I going to do this? How am I going to handle this? How am I going to tell the kids? How am I going to overcome this? This thing, I don't know. There's other battles I've won. I don't know if I can win this one. That's the way chariots of iron make you feel. Chariots of iron represent the battles that without God we don't have a chance of winning. But that's good news because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? They took city after city, town after town, until they came to the chariots of iron. And then and only then and right then they gave up. They put up the white flag. They backed off. They yielded ground to the enemy. And they said, this is one place we won't go. This is one battle we won't fight. We, we, we. They forgot what Joshua had told them. Instead of saying, I am, I have, I shall, they said, I'm not, I can't, I won't. And Joshua gave them a word. Now I want to go back to Joshua's word. How many of you would like to know how to overcome a chariot of iron? And not only a chariot of iron for us, but how about our country? Is it not true? Now it's Independence Day weekend, so I'm going to go a little bit. Let me just say a couple of things. I'm so concerned about the United States of America. I don't know where you are, but I see chariots of iron rumbling across our country. We're facing a government right now that suddenly is attacking our freedom of speech, suddenly is attacking our freedom of religion, that is trampling on the Constitution of the United States of America. It looks like we're dealing with a government that wants to take Christianity out and put secularism in, that wants to take the Bible out and put situational ethics in, that wants to transform our country from a Christian, uh, Judeo-Christian tradition into a secularist, socialist society, and something's going to have to be done. And can I tell you something today? The answer is not in Washington, D.C., the answer is not with Republicans. The answer is not with Democrats. The answer is not with Libertarians. I'm looking at the answer. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Jeff? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, everybody say then, 
then I will hear from heaven, then I will forgive their sin, and then I will heal their land. So the answer to America is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ seeking his face and doing what I'm about to tell you. So what did he say to them? He said, he said, let me tell you how you defeat these chariots of iron before you even confront them. I'm going to read the verse again. Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, and he said, you are a great people. Can you say with me, I am a great people? Say with me, I am a, we are a great people. And he said, you have great power. And then he said, you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. Let me deal with these one at a time. First, he defined them. He said, you are. Anytime somebody or something says to you and me, you are, they're defining you. And folks, do you know how important it is who or what we allow to define us? Because something or someone is defining everyone in this room. Now, you know you're being defined when something or somebody is telling you who you are, who you're not, what you can do, and what you cannot do. Listen, you are either being defined down or defined up. Have you ever noticed that God defines us up and the devil defines us down? Do you know how important it is what voice we listen to, what defining voice we listen to? Do you know why Joshua looked at them and said, let me define you. You're, you're intimidated by these, by these giants, by these chariots. So let me tell you, first of all, who you are. Because if you believe you can, you will. But if you believe you can't, you probably won't. So he said, let me tell you who you are. You are a great people. You are who you are because of whose you are. You are a great people because you serve a great God. I'm so tired. Listen, don't you get weary, church of watching the church walk around, staring at the ground with no confidence, with no boldness, because they have been so defined down by a culture that hates Jesus Christ anyway. And so we're staring at the ground, afraid to stand up for Him, afraid to say we love Him, afraid to say what we believe is right and wrong, afraid to say that we love Jesus Christ, because the church has been so defined down. So it's time for us to be defined up. And how do you get defined up? You go to the book that defines you up. And it's this book right here. Can you say with me, the Holy Bible defines me up every single time. You say, how's it do that, Pastor Jeff? Are you ready? The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a called out people, called to show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you hear the definition there, the defining there? He says, you are chosen, royal, holy, called. The Bible doesn't say you're a loser. The Bible says you're a winner. 
The Bible doesn't say you can't. The Bible says you can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Anybody hearing me today? Are you hearing me today? So let me ask you a question. Who's defining you? What are the major defining voices of your life? See, here's what a lot of people do. They allow, for instance, their failures to define them. They fail somewhere back there. They fail in the past. They make a mistake. They fail. Maybe a series of mistakes, series of sins. And those failures talk to them. Those failures define them. And that fail failure will say to them, um, you did this, you did this, you did this. So you cannot walk into what God has for you. You will not inherit the land because you're not worthy. God has left you. He's not smiling on you anymore. And those voices, those failures will define you. Or you can have a teacher way back in elementary school or kindergarten who defined you down. You're kind of dumb. You're kind of slow. You're not very talented. And that voice gets into your head and stays there like a tape recording talking to you all through your adult life. You aren't, you can't, you won't. You can be in a relationship right now that is defining you down. You can have parents that define you down. A boss that defines Let me tell you what I've gotten in my life. I don't hang around with people that define me down anymore. Amen. I'm not going to run with people that define me down. Because I've got things to do. I've got giants to kill. I've got places to go in God. And I want people who are defining me up, not defining me down. Gideon. Let me give you an example. Here's Gideon. And God appears to Gideon. And he says, hey, thou mighty man of valor. Gideon turned around and looked to see who he was talking to. He said, hey, I'm talking to you. And Gideon proceeded to tell God all the reasons why he could not do what he was being called to do because he had been defined down so long he could not believe the word that he was a mighty man of valor. He had been so defined down. You know, I got saved in juvenile home. I was in juvenile home at 16 years old in jail. I've been arrested for sale of narcotics. The reason that I was in there in all that trouble is I'd been so defined down in my life that I didn't think much of myself. And when you don't think much of yourself, church, you will live a self-destructive lifestyle. You'll live a self-destructive lifestyle because you don't think you're worth much. And so I didn't think I was worth much. And I got in all this trouble and I got into jail and I heard the gospel for the first time in my life. I had not heard John 3, 16, the gospel of Christ, the cross of Christ. I had not heard it my entire 16 years of life. And when I heard that Jesus loved me and died for me and rose from the dead, something pricked my heart. And I said, Jesus, forgive me for my sin and come into my life. And you know what he began to do? He immediately began to define me up. Jeff, you've got purpose. You've got destiny. My hand is on your life. You are not fearfully and wonderfully evolved. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I've got a purpose for you, a dream for you, and you have potential. And he began to define me up. And the more that I was defined up, the more I did for God. The more I was defined down, the less I did for God. So folks, we've got to understand, who's defining us? What voice do we listen to more than any other? I encourage you, listen to the voice of the Lord because you are who you are because of whose you are. Would you say with me, I am who I am because of whose I am? So you see, Popeye stole that. 
Okay. Some of you don't even know who Popeye is. God bless you. Now, here's another one. Yay, we are, we are, we are, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us, you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. That's who you are. So say with me, God don't make no junk. Bad English, good preaching. Okay? Now, next thing he said to them, oh, I love this. He said, not only are you who you are because of whose you are, but you have great power. People of God, you have great power. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Stories told of a circus elephant that became part of the circus when he was just a little newborn. This little elephant, they're about like this. And there's a little circus elephant. He's born and raised in the circus. And when he was young, they, they chained his leg to a stake that was just a few inches in the ground. And so this elephant began to grow. And in and out of the circus he would go. He would go in there and do his part under the big tent, come back out, and they would chain his leg again. He grew. He grew. He grew. He grew. But they chained his leg to the same stake a few inches down. And one day a dad and his little boy were walking by, and the little boy observed this, and the little boy said, Daddy, why doesn't he pull his leg out? The dad said, because he doesn't believe he can. He doesn't know the power God has given him. He doesn't know how strong he is. Now, how many Christians who have been in God five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, have their legs, have their lives, have their freedom chained to a little stake a few inches down, and if they knew who they were because of whose they are, and they knew the great power that God had given them, they would pull that thing out today and walk free. And see, we've got to believe that in the church is the power needed through Jesus Christ to turn our nation around. Do you believe that? Absolutely. It's true. The people of Israel were God's anointed and called people of destiny. They had great power. They had the power to shake Rome. Jesus handpicked 12 blue-collar workers, fishermen, tradesmen and he called them and he taught them and he defined them and he empowered them and then he released them and the bible says that motley crew of 12 men changed and transformed and turned rome upside down not by might not by power but by the Spirit of God that rested on them. And are we any different in America, church? No, America can be, can, can be turned by the people of God. Joshua told Israel, you possess greater power than the chariots of iron because your God is greater than the chariots of iron. Therefore, you shall drive out the Canaanites, iron chariots and all. And they didn't do it. But that doesn't mean we can't. 
I want to tell you today, God's got a plan for the chariot in your life, and that is to bring it down and give you the victory. Paul said, I can do all things through Jesus Christ, who strengthens me. I can do all things. I can do all things through Jesus Christ, who lives inside of me. There is no power of flesh. There is no demonic spirit. There is no chariot of iron that cannot be defeated by a people of God walking in faith. So he said to them, you are, you have. And then he said definitively, you shall, you shall drive them out because of whose they were and who they were and superior power of their God. Joshua said, it's not a maybe so, hope so, perhaps so, but you shall definitively, no questions asked, drive them out. The battle is yours to take. God will give you the victory in spite of the fact that your enemy is strong and has iron chariots. Your God is stronger. It was only when they lost sight of whose they were, watch this, and who they were, and the great power that was theirs through God that they failed. What did Jesus say? Be it unto you according to your faith. You know, it comes to the things of faith. There are times when you've got the promise, but then you've got to move forward in faith. You've got to take steps of action. They heard the promise that they would defeat the chariots of iron, but the Bible says, listen to this, very telling. Quote, the word they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. There's two kinds of people in here today. I know this. I've been preaching a long time. Two kinds of people are here. There's people who are going to say, man, that was a great word, Pastor Jeff. I really appreciate that. Encouraged me. And, and, and you really worked up a sweat. And I liked watching you sweat. So I'm going to go out and, and God bless you and have a great week. And they're not going to do what they heard. They're going to stay defeated. But then there's another group that are hearing what I'm saying. They're going, you know, I've got a chariot of iron in my life. And I am so sick of this thing running roughshod over me. I am so tired of what this enemy, this chariot is doing to me that I, I'm ready to make a change. So I'm going to take what I heard and I'm going to mix it with faith. And that means I'm going forward against it. I'm not going to live a life of retreat. I'm going to live a life of aggression. And I'm going to battle this thing in the name of the Lord. And I'm bringing this chariot of iron down. And then I'm not going to stop there because freed people free people. Amen? Watch this. Bound people bind people, but freed people free people. Freely you have received, freely give. See, when God has a bunch of churches that have been set free, you will know the truth and it will make you free. And if the Son shall make you free, you are free indeed. Jesus is all about freedom. And once those iron chariots come down, then, man, we have got a message. We have got a testimony. You know what a testimony is? You go through a test and some moaning, and then you get a testimony. And, and I love testimonies. You go through a test with those iron chariots with some moaning, but when you come out on the other side, you come out free indeed. And when you come out free indeed, then you're able to go out and free other people indeed. 
And so the reason I came this weekend is to tell you that the iron chariots in your life are defeated and the iron chariots rumbling across America are not indefeatable. They, 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 are, they are not something that can't be stopped. But in the name of Jesus, a church that says, I am, I have, and I shall can put the brakes on those chariots and bring them down. If Israel had aggressed, I'm going to close with this. If Israel had aggressed, I don't know how it would have happened, but I know something would have happened. Because every time they moved forward in faith, the walls of Jericho fell. The giants were defeated. They took city after city, town after town, victory after victory. Something supernatural would have happened if they had just taken the word of God and gone against those chariots, maybe the wheels would have fallen off. Maybe the drivers would have been defeated or killed by some angel of God. We don't know. But I do know if they'd stepped forward, it would have been unto them according to their faith and God would have given them the victory. So let me ask you a question today. Have you got an iron chariot in your life? Seemingly insurmountable marital problems, alcohol, drugs, pornography, a really negative self-image where you need to be defined up, something that keeps blocking you from the destiny that God's got for you. Every time you get close, it, rises, it raises its head and looks at you and defeats you. The word of the Lord to us today is, I have the power in your life to bring it down. So I'm going to ask us to stand together, can we? And I so appreciate your attentiveness and your willingness to listen to a preacher from Fort Worth. But listen carefully. I didn't come here to be religious or to preach a little joy pop on Jesus message and go home I came with business in mind I came with a word freed people free people you can't give what you don't have you can only dispense to others what's been dispensed to you so what I want to do right now is first I want to pray for America it's Independence Day weekend and it starts right here and I want to pray for the defeat of the chariots of iron that are robbing us of our freedom incrementally day by day. And then I want to pray for those of you who have a chariot of iron in your life. Let's pray together first for America. Can we do it? If you want to lift your hands to the Lord, go ahead. If you want to take the hand of your neighbor, go ahead. But let's pray together. We're two or three or more are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name with a heavy heart over the land of the free and the home of the brave. We come to you, Lord, with a burden of what is happening to the bedrock foundation of this country and how it's under assault daily. And Lord, we ask you in Jesus' name to raise up a church churches all over the land that say not I don't I'm not I can't I won't but they will say I am I have I shall 
And they will stand up proudly in the name of Jesus and speak the truth in love and let their voice be heard and not yield any more land to the enemy like Israel did, but will take their stand until the iron chariots are brought to a screeching halt. The wheels come off of every evil plot and scheme and plan. The wheels come off of those calling wrong right and right wrong. The wheels come off of this secular godless agenda. The wheels come off. And Father, we believe you to bring revival to America one more time. Can you pray with me, church, and say, Lord, I agree together with my church family that you will send revival to this country in Jesus' name. Now, if you have a chariot of iron in your life, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're dealing with a chariot of iron. It's stronger than you, bigger than you. This is not the typical normal. All right? This morning in prayer, before I came to church, the Holy Spirit said to me, I want you to call them down to the altar, and I want you to just go past them and lay hands on each of them. I'm going to do it very quickly because there's going to be so many. But I believe in the ministry of the laying out of hands, and here's the deal. When I lay hands on you, I want you to give to God the chariot of iron. Name it. Tell God what it is. And say, Lord, it's bigger than me, but it's not bigger than you. So if you're dealing with a chariot of iron, I want you to come quickly. I'm going to obey God, and I'm going to do this. And they're going to lead us in worship as we, as we pray. And don't leave unless you absolutely have to, because I need you worshiping God to keep the anointing flowing in this house today. So let's, let's sing minstrels of God and let's believe the Lord to move on these precious people right now. And, and if you can fan out across the altar where I can easily get to you, that would help all the way down this way. And I want you to be ready when I come to you just to give the Lord. You don't have to tell me what it is, but just tell him as I lay hands on you. And then I want you to leave it in the hands, the nail-scarred hands of Jesus.